You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez, and this is The Feed. We are York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues and events that matter to all of us who live and work here. Coming up on this Thanksgiving long weekend, we have a preview of this year's Toronto Raptors. Also on the show, we take a trip inside our local library and how just one visit can get you thinking. And we learn more about the risks associated with vaping. But we begin how groups across the country are turning their attention to anti-bullying programs once again. This after Devin Selvey was stabbed to death outside his Hamilton High School on Monday. Two people have been charged in his death. Afwaba with the story. Well, it is an incident that has gripped the hearts of many across the province. 14-year-old Devin Selvey was fatally stabbed earlier this month, just outside of his school in Hamilton and right in front of his mother. His mom was uh, speaking out a few days after, saying that her son was being consistently bullied, but no one did anything to help him. And today, we're going to talk about bullying, and we are going to talk about what we can do to ensure that such a horrific event doesn't happen again. Joining me to chat today is Celine Duguay. She is a consultant with the nonprofit group COPA. Celine, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Uh, for the listeners that may not know, if you could just help us understand uh, what COPA is and the work that you do. Um, COPA is a uh, provincial organization. We work with uh, Francophone communities and Anglophone communities, and we do violence prevention programs in schools. Um, so one of the violence prevention programs that we do uh, do is uh, with um, in regards to intimidation or what we call bullying. Talking about specifically bullying, and of course the tragic event that had to happen just a few days ago um, in order for this serious topic to sort of come back into the limelight, but I think it gives us a sober reality check that bullying is still a very serious issue among students. Yes, it is, and I, I believe that, um, you know, we that we've many schools and, you know, uh, across Canada, we've uh, put in zero tolerance uh, initiatives, uh, but I think that now we see that we need to go beyond the zero tolerance. We need to give concrete information to parents, to teachers, to principals, school boards, and students. Like um, it's important that uh, when we, when teachers are faced or parents are faced with bullying um, situations, that they know what to do. Um, they need to have the tools to be able to intervene. And it's the same with the students. Like, students that are being bullied need to know what they can do to uh, get out of a situation like that. And we also need to address the students that do the bullying. Um, most of those, those students, they need help. They, they, you know, and right now with the zero tolerance, what happens is that we exclude those students. We, you know, they go home. The parents don't know what to do uh, with the, the students who, stu- who, who bully. And, um, but they need to get help to stop this uh, behavior. And we need to be careful about how we address the behavior because it's not about the child. It's the behavior that the child has. And 
What's wonderful about this is that that behavior can be changed. But the student, the teachers, the students, and the parents need to have the appropriate tools to be able to do that. Um, a lot of teachers that we speak with, what they say is, we don't know what to say to the kids. We don't know how to support them. We don't know how to support the parents. And there's this fear that settles into everybody's mind. You know, we're all scared to say something that, you know, we don't really want to say or we don't mean. And then, uh, and then what happens when there's so much fear, um, nothing happens, right? Like things, we, we, things slip up and, and, and it, it doesn't contribute to help. So if we inform and educate kids, parents, and teachers, that's the way that we can slowly minim, like slowly, like see that, you know, intimidation and bullying can, the risks will be lower. Considering that such a policy may be a sort of one-off intervention approach, what can be done to mm-hmm. amend it so that it's more holistic? Um, I think that, you know, usually policy comes from the top down, right? We, you know, uh, it, it, it did, it was great in the beginning, but now we're seeing that we need to do a bit more. And I think that now the solution needs to, need to come from the bottom and toward, you know, up, you know, towards influencing policy making so that we do recognize that the work needs to be done in the schools with experts, you know, with people who can give training to teachers, to kids, and to parents. And this is what we do at COPA. We go into the schools, we train the teachers, we train the parents, and we go and do uh, these wonderful workshops with, with, uh, with kids. And we do it from preschool right up to the end of high school, right? So it's consistent. The message is consistent, like what we give to the students, and then they go home, and the message is the same, and then they're in the schools, and the teachers know how to intervene, and they know how to intervene quickly to not let things escalate, right? You, you hear a little something in the, in the hallway, um, you know, um, a comment from a student that's, you know, either degrading or that encourages exclusion, but if the teachers and principals and even any kind of, of uh, worker that's in the school environment intervenes right away to say, no, this is not okay. What you're doing is intimidation. Let's talk about it and let's look at what, how we can change this, right? So, but at this time, not many uh, teachers and principals and parents and students know how to do that, know how to address that. So I think that now we really need to look at working this from, into the schools and going up and changing policy. Also making a difference between, you know, a lot of times we don't know the difference between conflict and aggression and bullying, right? These are three distinct things. And a lot of um, the fear from from intervening from schools or teachers is because they don't want to take a, a, a step that will go in the wrong direction because they don't understand what the difference is between the three of them. And it's the same for parents. You know, we need we need to really have this three-tiered, uh, you know, holistic approach to preventing intimidation. It's, it's essential, I believe. Okay, and um, bringing it back to the community where this happened in Hamilton, how does the community begin to heal from a tragedy such as this? Anyone from students who may have seen Devin in the hallways to teachers who may be turned a blind eye thinking that, uh, you know, it, it was a situation that would resolve itself. Where do they begin to heal in all of this? 
I think we need to step away from blaming. Um, I think that, you know, all the people in, in communities do their best to protect their children, to make sure that kids are safe, uh, that the, that kids are in safe places. We all do our best. And we, we need to step away from the blaming and really going into what can be done now to avoid such tragedies. I mean, um, we need to be able to sit down with, you know, policymakers and, and people who have the power in the community to change things um, and to be to open up the communication between the different actors in the community. Um, for sure, these, the parents, the, the, you know, the friends, Devin's friends in the school, they'll need some time to heal. And I think that, uh, you know, there are resources in the community in Hamilton, especially where they will be able to get that help to heal. And beyond the healing or part of the healing is really looking at what we can do in the schools and, and how we could really get people to, uh, the concrete tools to know how to intervene, uh, with the kids who are being bullied and with the kids who are bullying. This behavior can be changed, you know, and we need to give the power back to kids and to teachers and to parents to be able to do that. This has been uh, definitely a great conversation that we've had so far, of course, into this issue of um, bullying. Um, It's sad for me to say that it had to come out of such a tragic incident. But if it does continue the conversation and help spark change, um, then that's a great place to start. Uh, Where can residents go for more information on COPA? Uh, COPA uh, has many websites. Uh, We have a website for teachers. Um, it's called Safe at School or Bien-être à l'école in French. Uh, that is a website for teachers and there is, there's online training, there's resources, there's a lot of information there. Uh, and then we have um, a website for parents. It's called Copa Habitat and it's the same structure. Parents can get training, online training, they can get resources and information. And then we have a website for kids, and it's a website where uh, kids contributed uh, to creating the website, um, and it's called Change Our World, or EnsembleWi.ca in French. Those online resources are really complete. So I encourage, you know, teachers and parents and kids to go visit, and parents, go with your kids. Talk to them about it. Um, go and visit the website, and COPA... Uh, offers, you know, we're experts at this. We've been doing this for 25 years. Uh, call us. Our phone numbers are on the website. You know, schools are interested in in us coming in and giving the um, the workshops to students, parents, and teachers. We, we will be happy to do so. Celine, thank you so much for uh, joining me to talk about this um, very serious issue today. I hope uh, all of the information that we talked about can be beneficial to someone out there. Celine, thank you so much. Yes. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. We move from the problem of youth violence and bullying to the risks associated with vaping. The words of advice from Tobacco-Free Living Services. 
Vaping has been in the news recently due to the increase of serious illnesses that young adolescents and teens have been getting that seem to be directly linked to the use of e-cigarettes. And so we want to know what vaping is all about and the serious health risks that might be behind it. So joining me today to chat is Tracy Kefar-Lyon, the Community Program Coordinator with Tobacco-Free Living Services. Thank you so much for joining me today, Tracy. Welcome. All right. So for the listeners that may not know... Uh, we use the term vaping so much. Vaping is happening with teens. This is the illness with vaping. Maybe people don't necessarily know what vaping is. If you can maybe break it down in layman's terms, what is vaping all about? Okay, so vaping is um, made up of uh, lots of different harmful chemicals, and um, vapes and e-cigarettes are basically the same thing. Uh, the term is electronic cigarette, and uh, vaping is a new new word that became popular um, over time with more usage of the word, so most people refer to it as vaping, the act of inhaling and exhaling the aerosol. Um, it comes in many different forms, and um, as you know, the long-term uh, consequences of vaping are still unknown, uh, especially for youth. Nicotine within the vape found in the e-liquid, it's, nicotine is a very addictive chemical, so um, youth are more susceptible to nicotine as their brain is still growing until the age of 25. And nicotine is known to also alter the brain development and can affect memory and concentration. Okay, and so e-cigarettes, or I mean the culture term now that is, is being used frequently is vaping. It's not necessarily a new phenomenon. It's been around for a while and um, even used as an alternative to those who are maybe trying to quit the traditional way of smoking. Um, so my first question to that would be, is vaping just as harmful as smoking a regular cigarette? Vaping is not harmless. That's the first thing that we need to, to make um, known is that it is not harmless. Um, if you've been a long-time smoker, vaping is less harmful than smoking. However, it is not harmless, and for youth, it is best not to start vaping. Okay. Uh, so now that we've ironed that out then, um, why is uh, vaping necessarily more attractive now to teens uh, rather than traditional cigarettes? I think it's because of the um, marketing of the products um, and the youth themselves see it as something trendy. However, we have to remember that actual in our uh, Ontario Secondary Drug Use and Health Survey, only 11% of youth uh, were actually vaping. So we need to dispel the myth that you think that everyone's doing it, but that's, that's in fact not true. Um, and parents play a huge role in helping youth understand the truth about these emerging products. How parents can help is they can be equipped with the facts themselves um, and they can be familiar with vape, the vape devices that are out there, what's being vaped and the associated risks along with that. Health Canada has some great resources for this and tip sheets for parents at canada.ca backslash vaping. Do you have maybe one or two facts or tips that you can provide to parents now? Because of the nicotine, parents need to understand that nicotine is one of the most addictive chemicals and um, because of their growing brain, youth uh, definitely 
are at risk for memory and concentration loss if they are vaping, um, and it can lead to dependence on a product. Um, not all vaping products contain nicotine, but for those that do, the level of nicotine can be as much as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, um, which is also some youth are not aware of this, and they're also not aware of what's in the vape e-liquid. So the e-liquid itself is not just water vapor. It's made up of propylene glycol, vegetable glycerin, and of course the added nicotine. These chemicals in themselves can hurt your lungs um, and your uh, brain, especially because these are areas within youth that are still growing and still developing. I guess this is where we're seeing uh, so many illnesses uh, that uh, young adolescents and teens have been getting related to the practice of vaping. But of course, there's not a lot of research on this. We are still in the early stages of fully understanding why this is happening to teens at this time. Mm-hmm. Yes, and Health Canada and the CDC, they are looking at this um, on a daily basis and we are getting reports from them and um, um, we're not sure. Let's say maybe now a teen is finding themselves addicted to vaping. What are the initial things that they maybe can do that they can stop uh, the practice? Well, they can lower their doses of nicotine within their vape that would that would definitely help uh they can also try to get help go to york.ca backslash vaping for more information uh they can they they're not eligible if they are uh under the age of 16 to receive the nicotine patch or gum or inhaler and they probably are not smoking enough to to need that however um That is available if they are older youth, and we do offer uh, stop-on-the-road programs and so on for help help with smoking, uh, quitting smoking, and we can definitely help with with vaping as well. The purchase of e-cigarettes. The same rules apply to uh, e-cigarettes as that of traditional cigarettes, right? It's only a certain age that can uh, actually purchase these products. Um, you are not able to purchase a vape the same as, as a cigarette unless you are 19 years of age. So okay. youth should not be getting these products in the first place. Right. Okay. Yeah. So the same laws apply for youth that are vaping and smoking. Where can uh, residents then go for more information if they uh, need more help in terms of understanding what vaping is and maybe to help uh, their child if they suspect that their child is vaping as well? Because it is still relatively uh, new, quote unquote, um, and so they might not necessarily have all of the info that they need to arm themselves with. Uh, Yes, so they can go to Health Canada has an excellent tip sheet for parents at canada.ca slash vaping as well as we have resources on our York Region page, so york.ca slash vaping. Um, Parents definitely play a key role in helping youth understand these products, so it would be great if they could have some open and honest conversations with their teens about it. And um, obviously teens are curious about the flavors and cloud tricks and et cetera. but they have to understand that nicotine is extremely addictive. 
Tracy, thank you so much for joining me today on this conversation about vaping. Um, and we hope that the information that was brought today can definitely help the listeners out there. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm station manager Tina Cortez. Remember, if you missed any part of our show, head over to 1059theregion.com for replay. If you've been longing for your NBA champs to hit the court once again, the wait is almost over. Jim Lang with a preview. The Waterboy Report, starring Luke Rosano, the pride of Vaughn himself, right here on 105.9 The Region on the feed as we get ready for the Raptors. Regular season, and Luca this time, what a nice ring to it. The Raptors is the defending NBA champions. Who would have thought, Jim? Who would have thought? I, I believe we did a hit uh, before uh, the postseason, just talking about expectations going into the postseason. In our wildest imagination, we never would have guessed the Raptors would uh, run the table and then take out Golden State. Granted, the injuries did help, but uh, it does have a nice ring to it, I have to say. You know, and I'm glad you brought that up. You can only play the teams in front of you. And it's not Nick Nurse, it's not the Raptors' responsibility that the other team maybe is tired or hurt or banged up. You still have to win. And there are so many teams that have had opportunities in the past in postseasons in any sport and dropped the ball. So the Raptors, no matter what challenge they faced, especially, I thought, a lot of challenges with NBA officiating going against them, they never wavered. No, 100%. And I know a lot of people are looking at, you know, the injury just to go back to that and saying, oh, you know, we had so much luck. But you look at even like Golden State, uh, what they had to, the fortune they endured winning all those titles. Absolutely. You know, remember that year when Love and, and Kyrie both went down and LeBron had to take them on himself, you know. They, so they, they, it's a part of the game. It's a part of the game. So I don't want to hear any of that stuff. Uh, as we begin the regular season, October 22nd, taking on the New Orleans Pelicans, at Scotiabank Arena, it's also the day they're releasing a YouTube movie about the season, the playoff run, the incredible parade where it was, I mean, they set, I don't think any NBA team could ever hope to match the kind of outpouring that day. Uh, begins anew, uh, Kyle Lowry signing that one-year $31 billion contract extension. A lot of people saying, oh, the Raptors, you know, they lost this, they lost that. But Pascal Siakam's back, and he looks like he's going to be better than ever. Still got Serge Ibaka, and your guy, Fred Van Vliet, Looks like he's ready to take the next step to be a real prominent player in the association. And you look at some of the moves they made in the offseason, too. I don't think we're giving those moves a ton of credit. Like, we did bring in, you know, young guys who can play defense. Granted, offense will be the issue. But if those guys can get the ball rolling offensively, you know, a Stanley Johnson, a Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, and those guys can make an immediate impact. How about uh, Matt Thomas as well? I mean, I saw just, you know, the work he's been doing this offseason. The dude looks, looks like he can shoot the lights out. So, you know, if those guys can contribute, I'll just cut to the chase here, Jim. I think the Raptors easily will be able to still be a fourth or fifth seed in the East and possibly even win a playoff round. Now, I'm glad you brought that up because if you look at their schedule the first month, it really sets up nicely for them to establish a nice run to begin the season. They have a lot of good games, albeit Boston, the second game in Boston, won't be easy, but there's a lot of winnable games there that show that what they're really all about. And it gets interesting on Remembrance Day of all days, the 11th of November on a Monday night, they're in L.A. to take on the Clippers. That is going to be must-see TV. Now, now, what are you expecting when they face Kawhi? Because if there's one thing Nick Nurse knows how to do, it's coach matchups. So I can think that, that the lead-up to there, because they played the Lakers the night before, but the whole focus of practice in the week before they go on that road trip is going to be a figure out a way to contain Kawhi. 
So that is a back-to-back, I believe. It is, yeah. They go Lakers and then Clippers back-to-back, yeah. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I know Kawhi Leonard just going on him for a second. I know load management's not going to be as prominent this season as last season. They've already came out and said that. Especially that night. Especially that night, yeah. Um, Yeah, no, I I would look for, uh, obviously, Nick Nurse to be able to know how to coach against Kawhi, you know, throw different defenders at him, see what works. But primarily, I can even see, you know, no Janinobi being on him or even uh, a Stanley Johnson coming off the bench um, and seeing if you could just slow him down that way but I mean that's going to be a tough game if the Clippers are at full strength but it is I think the kind of Raptors team and I agree that even with some of the departures and some of the changes with the coaching staff with the foundation especially with the East Luca, why why wouldn't you think they're a fourth or fifth seed? A hundred percent. And I mean, I, I think it just, you know, disrespect again. It's so funny because I can't remember the last time that a defending champion has come into the uh, the season in which they're defending their championship and they've just received so much slack and on of credit and everybody's writing them off. It, it kind of has the same tone as last season when we first started it off. Like nobody expects this Raptors team to go anywhere. But like you just said, the East, still pretty winnable. I mean, outside of the Sixers and the Bucks you can get through some of those other teams. So, I mean, I, I would not uh, be surprised if this Raptors team once again turns heads. And speaking with Luca Rosano from the Waterboy Report on the feed in 105.9 The Region, and you recently ran into Fred Van Vliet. He was at an event in Vaughn. What was your sense for him about his attitude getting towards the season? Because, you know, this kid from Indiana, there's something about him that's endeared himself, not just the Raptors fans. I think a lot of people around the league going, this, this guy's for real. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I had the chance to actually ask him a question as well. Fred, it's he's such a humble character. And the thing I love about him the most is you could tell he's not satisfied. Like, he wants more. You know, he helped the Raptors, particularly in that final series, you know, helping defend Steph Curry. You know, um, he's, he's doing so much, but yet he still wants so much more. And he, he came on and said it. He believes he can be a, star, a starter in this league. That's his next goal. And you know, winning the championship, now it's it's in uh, the rear view. Now it's on to the next thing for him. So I, I love his character. He's hungry, and I think he's, he's going to continue to get better. I, I really like his game. You know, he's an undersized guard. That's the only knock on him. But he proved in the playoffs, Jim, especially those last two series. Like, this guy can shoot the lights out if he's on, and he still has great playmaking ability that you can rely on. And you can't teach that kind of mental toughness, Luca. I mean, most players, when they're faced with that kind of adversity, a lot of them wilt. He just never blinked. He never wilted at all. And I think that his defense, too, is very overlooked. I mean, for his size, to be able to defend guards as well as he did in that postseason run, can't teach that stuff. The Raptors have Nick Nurse, so they have great stability in coaching. In the front office of Messiah Jerry, they have one of the top executives in the league. And the one thing going into the season, you talk about the no respect, also no drama. Because they, they got Kyle Lowry to the contract. There's no issues there. I'm looking at the Houston Rockets. I'm looking at the Lakers. I'm looking at a lot of teams around the league dealing with a lot of stuff off the court. Even the 76ers, that, that's the distraction. The Raptors don't have that. And that's, that's you know, dangerous for other teams. If this team can just go under the radar, no one's noticing them, and then all of a sudden things come together. I mean, they still have the bulk of last year's championship team this season. It wasn't just the Kawhi show last year. You know, he helped us as much as he did, but other guys still stepped up. And now you got a returning OG Ananobi, who, again, didn't play in the postseason. Got some of these other pieces. Uh, you know, Serge Ibaka looked like the I'm a big fan of Serge his. of old. Like, yeah. He looks back to being the guy that I remember him being. And uh, this team can, can piece it together for another run. It is funny to me to talk about an NBA championship team flying under the radar going into the season. Because, but, if, I mean, if you're Nick Nurse, this is actually, this is great. Just going about their business, doing their thing, working on their game. 
I, I was watching a bit of the highlights and monitoring what they did against Houston when they kicked off the preseason in Tokyo. I'm like, oh, some guys are putting up numbers. It looks like they're going to be ready. Yeah, and uh, I think the most fascinating, just quickly here, fascinating storyline that I'm personally looking forward to is uh, Pascal Siakam. Like, how is he going to respond now as being the main guy? We all know this is his team. You know, guys have come out and said it. It's the obvious. Let's see the work that he did in the offseason, how it translates to the regular season. Because, Jim, I look at a guy like Siakam, if he can develop that mid-range to three-point shot on a more consistent level, I mean, it's going to be tough to stop this guy. And he can truly be a bona fide superstar in the league. And I think a lot of teams around the East are a little nervous about that. Because that is the concern. Because one thing Pascal has been pretty good so far, knock on wood, is staying healthy. So, because that was part of the problem with Kawhi, there was some frustration in the regular season is the load management and all the games he sat out. Now, it didn't affect them, but Siakam's the kind of kid I think is going to be in the lineup a lot. Of, I don't see a lot of load management with him yet. I don't, no. don't think that's a no. concern at all. He's, he's uh, in the prime of his career right now. He's just hitting the stride right now, so... Uh, we got the Raptors starting the regular season. There's going to be some fascinating games. Of course, the kickoff against New Orleans. Or, um, a few nights later, they're in Boston. They have the big back-to-back on a Sunday, Monday, mid-November, in L.A. against the Lakers and the Clippers. Uh, I think this is the first time they're playing at Christmas. Is it? I believe, am I right? The, the second time ever, first time at home. That's right. So in uh, 2001, the Vince Carter days, they were uh, at New York. But this is, I mean, people don't realize this. To play Christmas Day in the NBA is the pinnacle. And for so many years, no matter how well the Raptors are playing, they were always ignored. So for them to have a home game on national North American TV, it's significant to me. That's awesome. Like, just to see that the fact that they, you know, are granted that game, it's amazing. And, Jim, I got to ask, are you going to be going to that game for Christmas? Are you going to try to at least get tickets? Well, now, Christmas Day is a, b- a bit of a big deal in our house. So yeah. <laughs> getting out of the house to go to the Raptors game will be a bit of a tough sell. But I might, what I do usually in days like that is I put a lot of stuff down in the basement. So I go down to check scores and, yeah, I'm just getting some uh, some more wine and then go down and come up and get it. But no, there's a lot of excitement around the Raptors. I, I, you, people don't realize the spillover effect. In New York region, you drive around a lot of the, the suburban communities. 15 years ago, it was 9-1 to one, hockey nets to basketball nets and driveways. It's the other way around now. Wow. The, the, the impact of the Raptors on people in and around the region, the GTA, it's they're, they're the team. And that's the special part about it. I mean, growing up, to your point, it was always, you know, hockey first. And now it's like the new generation coming on board. Like, kids are now growing up diehard basketball fans. And I just see, you know, the amount of people who even watch me on YouTube and stuff. Like, a lot of these kids are in grade school, and these guys are are diehard Raptors fans first, and everything else just falls behind that. So it's it's crazy to see the effect it's had. I'm interested to see, though— if that effect will last because we're coming off of the championship, yeah. let's just say, obviously, we're not going to win championships every year. <laughs> is that, you know, fandom still going to be there? That's what I'm most interested to see as the years go on here. But it, to your point, it's it's been phenomenal to see the development of a fandom uh, with basketball in this country and particularly in this city. It's incredible. Luca Rosano, you can follow him on the Waterboy Report at Waterboy Report and check out his YouTube channel as well. It's on his Twitter feed. Luca, always a pleasure. Let's go Raptors. Thanks for having me, Jim. Let's go Raptors. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region, where we share stories, issues, and events from across York Region, including a celebration of Public Library Week. 
Uh, still, in this day of digital technology, there is nothing so serene as spending time in a library with a good book, whether you're researching for a test or just looking to expand your mind. And it's great that Ontario Public Libraries are holding an open house week, including at the Aurora Public Library, something really cool happening there. Thrilled to be speaking to Risha Mambelkorn of the Aurora Public Library. Risha, how are you? I am fabulous, just gearing up for uh, Ontario Public Library Week, and we're right in the middle of Canadian Library Month, so so we're just doing really well at APL. Uh, I know the Aurora Public Library well, because I know our kids have taken out a lot of books there. And the one thing you guys have done in other libraries in the region, kept up with the times, made it, made it more sort of digitally interactive not just the book so it's a place that you do want to go to hang out and get information well it's not only about uh, I mean reading is fabulous and we encourage everybody to read but you know learning and community happens in so many different ways it happens through books it happens through film uh, it happens through hands-on um, creativity in our new creative studio it happens in performances in art um, so we really expand libraries to, to be part of everybody's lives and as we like to say to um, imagine the possibilities at your local library and uh, um, we're not a quiet place. We um, we have a, a living room, which is our central hub, and we have all kinds of multicultural performances, everything from pop-up blues to uh, the York Chamber Ensemble, who will be featuring uh, during Ontario Public Library Week at our open house. We have Theodore Aurora performing there. We're a very, very lively space in our community. I mean, I think about our oldest daughter right now. She's at university, and and the place on her campus is the library. That just it's still such you an raised important. Raised right. <laughs> yeah, but it's still such an important place, Risha, for learning for for kids matriculating from the grade seven eight to get to high school. In high school, doing that research for certain projects, sometimes you need to get to the library to get the best part possible. We have lots of seating space in our library, and yet. Um, after school, evenings and weekends, every spot, every table is taken. There are kids on the floor. Uh, this is a very engaged community with learning, so we're very excited about the youth in our community. Also, businesses who come in for small meetings, that's very important as well. Um, we have wonderful broadband here, so in terms of being able to access Wi-Fi, um, you know, that's really strong that you can get your research done, uh, we're a hub for that as well. Speaking with Risha Mandelkorn from the Aurora Public Library, part of Ontario Public Library Week Open House. October 20th, something really cool happening at the Aurora Public Library. Between 1.30 and 3.30, there's dignitaries, there's community partners, there's cake. I mean, what more do you want? Well, I'll tell you what else we're going to have, because this is really exciting. The York Chamber Ensemble is a wonderful um, classical ensemble that that uh, is here in the region, and they're going to be performing a special concert for us uh, that afternoon, and we have four string musicians. Um, it is being led by their um, new music director, Michael Barrick, and they're going to be performing pieces uh, from their upcoming uh, schedule of performances um, it's not heavy music. It's right. joyful music. And what's going to happen as well as part of the education is they're going to be engaging the audience through educational instruction of each piece. So it's a wonderful opportunity for families to come in, especially to bring children in so they can learn about the composers, they can learn about the instruments. Um, we are so absolutely delighted to be able to feature this as part of our celebration. Uh, check it out. That's October 20th, 1.30 to 3.30, the amazing Aurora 
Public Library. It's it's an amazing space. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Just off of Young Street, south of Wellington, on the west side, or east side, I should say, if you're going northbound on the east side, uh, heading up to uh, the northern part of York region. Risha, thank you so much for the time. Enjoy. Keep up the great work with the libraries. And uh, the more libraries in our community, the better. Thank you so much for calling. And, uh, well, I hope to see you at our open house and our community as well. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. Our next stop is a bit of a history lesson. Netta Sarshar with the official word. We all know Markham now. With a population of around 330,000 people, Markham is ranked as Canada's 16th largest city. Amongst the thousands that make Markham their home are also over 1,000 technology and life science companies. According to the 2011 Canadian Census, Markham's population increased by 15% from 2006, approximately three times faster than Canada as a whole. Markham is a hot town, with people from all over the world choosing to call it their home. But what did Markham look like 225 years ago, when the first European settlers arrived and made the land their home? Joining me today is Lorne Smith, Markham's very own historian, who is also known for his unofficial title of Mr. Markham, according to Mayor Frank Scarpitti. How are you doing? Fine. Good. Great. So can you give us a bit of a description in your own words of what does it mean to be Markham's official historian? Good question. I serve at the pleasure of the city council as the official historian, and I have lived all my life in in Markham. And uh, my ancestry goes back to the arrival of those first German settlers, about 200, in um, the fall, just about now, of 1794. That, that those first were the two, first 200 settlers that, that arrived with, under the leadership of William Moe Bursey. Fantastic. And what did they find when they came onto Markham? What did we now know as Markham? <laughs> What did they find? Forest, bush, no roads, no homes, uh, just wilderness. They did have a survey, and they were able by that survey to identify the uh, farms, the 200 acres that they had been granted, but they had to cut their own roads, and uh, they lived, uh, most of them lived for the first winter in tents. Uh, before they could get their log homes built. Oh, I shiver at the thought. I live in a fully formed house, and I still can't handle Markham Winters. Were they supposed to be in Markham, or were they seeking out Markham beforehand? Had the government given them the land specifically, or did they just happen to stumble upon it? Well, they had left Germany in uh, June of 1792, traveled uh, to 13 weeks, to Philadelphia, and their, their, the land that they had been promised was just south of Lake Ontario, uh, south of Rochester, at a community now called Geneseo. And uh, they, um, unfortunately, things didn't go too well for them. And in the spring of 1794, Lieutenant Governor John Graves Simcoe was advertising for uh, farmers because he had this place called York, and he needed a supply of food. So if he could get the farmers that were reasonably close, then he can get his uh, own source of uh, food. So uh, four of them came up, 
made a deal with Simcoe, and then uh, during the summer, they arrived here in north of York, north of what is now Toronto, in the Don Valley, and then just before Christmas, they were able to head off to their, their land here in Markham Township. Do we know if, we, if they liked it here, or was it very difficult to get started? Well, the first two or three years were very difficult, but they must have liked it because they stayed. Right. And uh, my ancestor was one of those. And so Markham, actually, for the first 25 years, the language of Markham was German. Wow. Uh, back in 2001, Markham signed a cultural agreement with the community in Germany where the leader of those first settlers, William Bursey, was born. So it's a direct historic connection. And my wife and I were just over there the first weekend in September for a major cultural event that they have. And they have uh, come over and visit us. Uh, two years ago, they brought their boys band, um, 70 boys came over uh, and uh, played here and, and had a visit and shared with Markham District High School. So we exchange uh, cultural type events uh, back and forth uh, quite regularly. In fact, Unionville High School was over there and performed in their school uh, earlier this spring. So it's, it's an attempt to build that historic connection um, back to the homeland uh, in Germany. In Germany. So 225 years later, Markham still has a connection with... That's correct. That's amazing. So how does your role as Markham historian tie in with preserving Markham's history? Um, It's it's kind of interesting. Uh, I work with two or three organizations, and we publish uh, a number of newsletters. We've done quite a bit of a uh, number of books, but also do a lot of work with Markham Museum. And I kind of become a resource, too, for for the museum, but also um, Frank Scarpetti and uh, the city. I try to uh, make them aware of all the historic events coming up, and they're often contacting me and say, do you know something about so-and-so? Just this afternoon... I uh, got a call about an individual, and I'm able to provide some information. Um, I do have kind of contacts into most of the early families that uh, have been part of Markham's history. So uh, that's a resource that I can I bring to um, to the historian role. How can people get more involved with the Markham Museum? They're always looking for volunteers. The Markham Museum uh, is a case of dropping in. It's on uh, Main Street Markham, just north of 16th Avenue. They have a wonderful exhibit underway now. And um, anyone doing historic research, that's the place to go. Janet Reed is the curator there. And um, I don't know, I think it's something like 70,000 artifacts on site, um, and the museum grounds is 25 acres of, uh, with a number of uh, 
architecturally significant, historically significant uh, buildings there. And they have a lot of activities going on. They've moved into um, pottery now because there was a pottery uh, back in the 1800s on the site. So they have a, a good pottery um, program going there that people can go and, and gain experience. You mentioned an exhibition that's coming up in Markham Museum. Can you speak a little bit about that? Markham Fair is, is held the weekend before Thanksgiving on the Markham Fairgrounds, and it's 175 years old. Wow. It's been running continuously um, since the 1840s. And that's a week on, a week long, weekend long event, uh, from, um, Thursday till Sunday. And, uh, there's all sorts of activities, midway, uh, the farm animal shows. There's, uh, heavy horse show. There's a horse pull. Uh, lots of exhibits. And the school children get deeply involved in that one as well. Amazing. Do you have to show up in the costume you would have worn 175 years ago, or can you come as you are? <laughs> Nobody does. Nobody, Nobody does. does now. So thank you so much for joining us. All right. It's a pleasure to talk. I'm always happy to talk about uh, Markham's history. It's something I believe in, and uh, I'm happy to share uh, bits and pieces of information. It's been really helpful. It's also really great um, for listeners, I think, to know a little bit more about York Region history and how they can get involved. For more information on Markham Museum, you can go to markhammuseum.ca. For more information on Markham Fair, you can go to markhamfair.ca. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Just before we go, music coordinator Christina Lavecchia with the new sounds from Dom Marchese. We have Dom Marchese here in studio and his band. Welcome, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. So you guys just performed a two-song set for us here at the studio. And to check out that amazing performance, you can head on over to york24-7.com. Dom, you've been in the music business for more than 20 years, touring out through North America and England. How has the music industry changed for you over the years? Well, it's, it, it changes all the time. I mean, uh, with every experience, you get better and better. You know, you get, uh, you get to really understand what the business is all about when you're meeting different, you know, bands and opening up for different, you know, scenarios. And, uh, I mean, you just, you get to learn so much and you get to appreciate that it's such a, it's such a, an honor to, to play music and, and, uh, be an inspiration to, to other other musicians and uh, it's 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 been it's been fun it's been and, really fun and did you want to introduce your yeah i want to introduce uh, the guys that have played with me uh, andrew devita uh, and joe polito how's it going joe polito does guitar andrew does guitar and they both you know sing as well and uh andrew's been been with me for for a while he's opened up with uh, bon jovi with mm-hmm. me and Joe Polito's just been with me for, uh, I would say, the last uh, two and a half years or so. You're yeah. my day one, man. That's right. But the funny thing is that 
ironically, we, we, we were in a competition together for the Bon Jovi, yeah. when Bon Jovi was one of the hometown band to back them up. Sorry right? about we that. We kind of came in second, and they came in first. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Joe. And then we kind of, you know, full circle, we come back and we yeah. kind of re reunite, right? That's amazing. Now, how yeah. was that experience? That must have been crazy. It, it was very surreal. It was, yeah. you know, because you, you grew up, you know, listening to Bon Jovi, and it was it was such a such a, an honor, and it was fantastic, really. Was that the biggest audience do you performed in that front was of? That probably the biggest audience, yeah. It was yeah. about 20,000 people. And they, they came to see us. I was like, are you kidding me? So, well, you guys are great, so. Oh, thank you, thank you. Bon Jovi's not the only artist you've opened for. There's other um, artists as well, the Scorpions, Honeymoon Suite, Def Leppard. That just must have been amazing as well. And All great experiences. You know, yeah. uh, we, were, we were treated with respect and uh, it, was, it, was an, it, was, it was an honor for sure. Is there um, a particular moment or a particular time in, in one of those acts that just really stood out to you? Not really. I mean, it, it just it, it was all just a great. It was a, it was a, it was a, just a great experience throughout. Just taking it in. I have one huge memory. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Please um, share. <laughs> so we were in Shakutami, I think, and we were opening up for them and uh, the Scorpions, and the drummer was about to do his drum solo. Everything's fine, and it was outdoor venue and a June bug. Flew into his oh, yeah. mouth. Oh yeah! Started choking on stage. Oh no! They had to pretty much try to get this thing out of him during the song. During the song. Yeah. Oh yeah! Wow! So this yeah. whole spiel happened, yeah. and uh, yeah. I just remember being at side stage saying, "Like, what did he swallow? He swallowed a bug." I was yeah. like, "He swallowed a bug." And he was choking. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. my god! Was, did they have to stop at the performance? Or actually, the bass player uh, saved the day. He walked out on stage and he played for a good five minutes, trying to you know distract the crowd from what was actually happening. But as they're pumping his chest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he, was, he was coughing back yeah, yeah, back yeah. there, so nobody knew but us. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> You have two songs that you'll be releasing. There's Ride and Won't Back Down From Love. Right. Did you want to tell us a bit about the songs or maybe the inspiration behind them? A ride was, I was just telling the guys this morning, Ride was a song I recorded, I actually wrote in Nashville. And I was just playing around with the song, you know, this little, you know, riff that I had. And I went home and I thought, you know what, I got to finish this song. And it's basically just about, you know, moving forward and whatever happens in your life when you fall down, whatever it is, whatever hardship you're going through, you just the best thing to do is just get back up again and, and ride it, you know, ride, ride on through. So Won't Back Down is just about, you know, not backing down from the challenge of love, you know, because mm -hmm. love sometimes could be hard to understand and you just got to keep going. <clears throat> Especially with Instagram, though. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> is that impending on your relationship? I don't know. You could you find love uh, <laughs> on, your, on your screen nowadays. Well, and it, the internet is giving love uh, a whole new perspective. I There's many options out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in light of Thanksgiving this weekend, um, what are you most thankful for this year? I'm thankful for the gift of music, and you know, just to spread the gift of love, lyrics, songs. And, and inspire people. And I'm grateful for my family, grateful to be alive, and grateful to be here. Oh, I'm the same, but the Leafs. <laughs> well, I'm so grateful for the Leafs well, right now. That's a whole new that's different. Just, that's yeah. a whole new different interview. I'm grateful they yeah, are good. Well, yeah. Hoping for a win this year. It's been a long year. ride. It's, it's, been, it's been, a been a long ride. Yeah. Oh, well, it's yeah. been a long ride for me. That's for sure. Yeah. Me, I, I think I'm, I'm going to agree with the boys as well. Uh, I think right. music, because I think over the years, we've kind of, uh, and it's probably because of YouTube and, of course, Instagram and Facebook and what have you, people don't go out to see bands that much anymore, yeah. right? And, and, and we're kind of losing focus of that. 
and to see bands it's an amazing thing but a lot of people can just say well I just punch it up on YouTube and I can watch it in the comfort of my own home right but it's not the same experience right yeah. so we want to we want to try and we're pushing to get that yeah, back right? that live experiences know, get that live experience yeah. a rock band in the era of DJs yeah <laughs> no kidding. yeah it's not the same when you're just in the presence of everybody you're in the environment Absolutely. you know that live environment is totally yeah, different we grew up with live bands and you know yeah. the, the inspiration yeah, throughout the years yeah. you know made us what we you know what we want to do today well, they're right? pushing play on the iPod live wow <laughs> Well, you guys are great live too, so oh, uh, definitely thank check you. them out. And if you again, if you do want to check them out, um, they did do a two-set performance for us here, and you could head on over to york24-7.com. So, do you guys have any big plans for Thanksgiving or spending it with the family? family yeah. You know, probably yeah. going to go up north. The new singles are "Ride" and "Won't Back Down from Love." If listeners want to connect with you online, where can they find you? They can go on uh, www.dommarchese.com, Twitter at Dom Marchese, and Instagram, Facebook. And if you find Dom, you, you'll find us. Yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> Maybe. That's right. Before we go, did you want to throw to your latest single? The uh, latest single is "Won't Back Down from Love." We'll play it right now for all our listeners. Thanks a Thank lot. You. From your love, I won't back down from your heart. I won't back down from what I want us to be. I can't understand when all my friends keep telling me
That's our show for this week. If you missed any part of the feed or have a story idea or a community event to share, head over to our website, 1059theregion.com. I'm Tina Cortez. Thanks for listening.